you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Welcome to episode 21 of Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now let's dig into history. Hey everyone, thank you so much for taking time to listen to Reclaiming the Faith. Thank you so much for praying for me and my podcasting partners, BDK and Justin Fall. We are so, so grateful for those prayers and support. Well, in episode 21, I'm going to be covering the great deception that the Apostle Paul says in 2 Thessalonians that God is going to bring upon certain people in the last days. And we're not only going to look at who those people are, but we'll also cover several current distortions to the gospel that are deceiving the church today. And finally, I'll address a simple yet challenging step that you can begin to take right now that will help you feel secure when God's great deception finally comes upon the world. Well, if you're blessed by this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave an honest review on my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith. Also, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me at my website, reclaimingthefaith.podbean.com, or you can email me at emailphilsbaker at gmail.com. In 2016, I wrote a book called New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ. You can find this book on Amazon, and if it's a blessing to you, please leave an honest review there. Also, I'm blessed to be a part of Justin Fall's Fourth Watch Radio Network, along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer. You can contact BDK at omegafrequency.com, and you can send in questions for that Q&A show there. In addition to our own channels, you can find each of our podcasts at fourthwatchradio.com or on the Fourth Watch Radio podcast. And finally... The early Christian quotes I use can be found on the CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, and you can purchase your copy for only $5 on the Scroll Publishing website, scrollpublishing.com. Okay, well let's get episode 21 rolling. A few months after Stephanie and I adopted our two kiddos, we decided to take some family pictures. A local photographer had placed a good deal on Groupon, so we purchased it and set up a shoot at a park nearby. The photographer was nice and the kids had fun. It was a success, except for one thing. She never sent us the pictures. So we contacted her repeatedly, and eventually she gave different excuses explaining what had happened. She offered to do another shoot at the same location, so we gave her another chance. And once again, everything went well at the shoot. But then, just like before, we never received our pictures. You know, everyone thinks they're too smart to get scammed. No one lives believing that they are capable of being deceived. But permit me to ask you a question. 
if God himself sent a strong delusion upon you, do you think you would end up being deceived? The Apostle Paul says, a great deception is coming upon the world during the reign of the Antichrist, and certain professing Christians need to beware. So listen to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord is come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed." the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things, and you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed." For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity with, of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. So let's note a few crucial details about what Paul just wrote. First, in verse 1, Paul says that Jesus' return coincides with what is commonly known as the rapture. Then, in verses 3 through 4, the second coming and rapture, which Paul puts as one event, cannot happen unless, first, the greatest number of Christians in history leave Christianity, and two, second, the Antichrist has to already be on the earth acting like God made manifest. Also in verses, verse 3, the Antichrist is called the lawless one, which means one who has utter disregard for God's written and living word. Now, skipping to verse 9, the lawless Antichrist is given all the power of Satan to deceive those on earth. And then verses 9 through 10, those he deceives are those who do not love the truth and do not believe the truth, but instead delight in wickedness like the lawless one. And finally, verses 11 and 12 
because of their persistence in disregarding the truth, God gives those people a strong delusion so that they believe the deceptions of the lawless Antichrist. Well, did the early Christians take Paul at his word and believe the truth that God would actually send a strong delusion upon people who refused to love the truth? A respected 3rd century bishop of Carthage, Cyprian, discussed this very issue. He writes in volume 5 of the Antinicene Fathers, They corrupt the repentance of the wretched men by the deceitfulness of their lies. True peace is done away by the falsehood of a false peace. Their mind is smitten by these things, and their spirit is dull, and their sense of right is estranged. It is God's wrath that they do not perceive their sins, lest repentance should follow as it is written, and God gave them a spirit of idleness, that is, that they may not return and be healed and be made whole after their sins by just prayers and satisfactions. Paul the Apostle in his epistle lays it down and says, quote, They did not receive the love of truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God shall send on them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be judged who did not believe truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. After hearing these words, one question, therefore, that a good student of the Bible should ask is, what is the truth that Paul says Christians need to love and believe? And well, it's always good to let the Bible interpret itself. And in 2 Thessalonians, Paul answers our questions. He writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 through 10, The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Well, here, Paul writes that to know and believe Jesus is to daily choose to obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. To daily choose to obey the simple words of Christ. You know, one of the great joys of being a parent is the opportunity to discipline your children because no pastor, teacher, or coach has as profound of an impact on our kids' lives as we parents do. And an important lesson I regularly try to impart to my son is that choices matter. Every day, we either make the difficult decisions to act in ways that help bring about desired goals, or we choose easy paths at the expense of God's best for us. You know, these passages in 2 Thessalonians 2, they, they walk the tightrope. Um, they, they live in the tension 
between God's sovereignty and mankind's free will. It shows that God can deceive people and he's going to, and yet he's doing this to people who have chosen to not believe the truth. And this can be kind of tricky to navigate. And so in an attempt to explain to my son the harmony between God's sovereignty and humanity's free will, I will often use the analogy of the the dynamics within the game of dodgeball. So the ultimate sovereign ruler in dodgeball is the referee. He's fully in charge of the game. He can stop, start, or pause the game. He can remove and reinstate players. And in the summer day camp version that I grew up playing, the ref can even insert himself into the game as a player slash ref. However, even though the referee is the ultimate ruler, he does not control the player's thoughts and actions. They have the free will to think and act as they please. They can stand cowering in corners, or they can repeatedly attempt to take members of the opposite team's heads off. All of these actions have consequences, though, whether good or bad. And from cover to cover, the Bible displays God as the ultimate sovereign ruler. And yet from cover to cover, the Bible also reveals mankind's freedom to either accept or reject God's gracious promptings. One passage that is often cited to support mankind's free will is Matthew 23, verse 37. A few days before being murdered, Jesus said to the Pharisee-filled crowds, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way the hen, a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Yet you were not willing. Any parent can identify with Jesus' statement here. We want the best for our kids, yet no matter how much we counsel them, no matter how passionately we direct them away from disaster and toward life, at some point they will choose to follow their heart and experience the consequences. They are going to spend periods of time without brushing their teeth and end up with cavities, even though you saw them standing in front of the bathroom mirror with their toothbrush. They are going to gleefully watch and listen to things they know they shouldn't absorb while away from your house. And little by little, little hearts get hardened. Pushing your warnings aside, they will fall in love, or rather lust, with someone that is not at a place in life to love them in a godly way, and they will experience heartbreak that God never intended them to go through. And though, though many people angrily shake their fists at God, one of the main reasons for so much of the suffering in this world is humanity's free will. And the conversation about free will began long before Calvinism and Arminianism in the 16th and 17th century. It began before Augustine in the 5th century. The issue of free will was critical to the Christians of the first 300 years 
because the only folks who professed to be Christians that claimed humans did not have free will were the Gnostics. That's right. The people 1 John 4 says are under the influence of the Antichrist. And this is an example of one famous early Christian teacher commenting on Matthew 23, 37. This is Irenaeus in 180 in volume one of the Antinicene Fathers. He writes, if anyone is unwilling to follow the gospel itself, it is in his power to reject it, but it is not beneficial. For it is man's power to disobey God and to forfeit what is good. But such conduct brings no small amount of injury. Man is possessed of free will from the beginning, and God is possessed of free will in whose likeness man was created. So advice is always given to him to hold tightly to the good, which is done by means of obedience to God. And the Lord, showing his own goodness and indicating that man has his own free will and his own power, said to Jerusalem, quote, How often I have wished to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, but you were unwilling. You know, one, th- one unfortunate thing that I've discovered throughout my years in ministry since 2004 is that it is very difficult to convey to Christians, how strongly our traditions distort our reading of the Gospels. You know, the Jewish people of Jesus' day had many beliefs about the Messiah and morality that simply were more rooted in the traditions of men than the Word of God. And the love of and commitment to worldly, man-made traditions have led the people of God to develop a long history of casting aside His commands for the sake of these traditions. Whether it's the syncretism of pagan religious practices merging with the church, or slavery, theft, wars, and imperialism being justified in the name of manifest destiny, Worldly, man-made traditions have had an uncanny way of worming their way into God's rightful place on the throne of our hearts. And such was the inner condition of a group of Pharisees that Jesus encountered in Matthew 15. Matthew 15, verse 3 through 9, Jesus says this, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God For the sake of your tradition, for God said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this, You have invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. These people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the traditions, the precepts of men. 
Evidently, the Jewish people of that day had developed a tradition that enabled them to legally break the fifth commandment. If one didn't want to take care of his parents when they were older, one could simply declare some of his estate Corbin, or a gift devoted to God. The money was supposed to be used for the upkeep of the temple, but no one ever collected on what was owed. The children kept the money, and the parents died in need. Now, the gospel writer Matthew displays Jesus using a few choice words in his rebuke of these greedy Pharisees. And once again, Cyprian, the 4th century bishop of Carthage, helps pull the curtain back a little further regarding the emotional state of the Lord in that situation. He writes in volume 5 of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, What obstinacy is that? To prefer human tradition to divine ordinance and not to observe that God is indignant and angry as often as human tradition relaxes and passes by the divine precepts. As he cried out and says by Isaiah the prophet, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines and commandments of men. Also, the Lord in the gospel similarly rebuking and and reproving utters and says, You reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. Jesus has a particular hatred of hypocrisy. And in Matthew 15, the Pharisees are labeled hypocrites for honoring God with their lips while their hearts belong to the perks their traditions provide. You know, the heart sin of greed paired with ungodly traditions greatly deceived the Pharisees and rulers of the Jews in Jesus' day, just as John 12 masterfully describes. There, the members of the Sanhedrin were conferring together and conspiring together to murder Jesus because they were afraid of losing their place and their nation. But there are so many different forms of greed, as Jesus details in Luke chapter 12. In verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware, And be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many good things laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. 
This very night your soul is required of you. And now, who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That man convinced himself to disobey God's commands for the sake of his cultural and personal preferences. And how relevant is that passage for the modern American church? Whether they admit it or not, fundamentally, many leaders of Western Christianity proclaim the same basic message of the Antichrist. Disregard the commands of Jesus for the cultural traditions of the day. Building bigger barns is preferred to the neighbor-lifting values of the simple words of Christ. That man in the parable was completely deceived, and therefore we should be humble enough to take precautions. Paul counseled us in 2 Thessalonians that the sure fire way to avoid God's great deception is to obey the gracious gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul did not preach grace as an excuse to avoid obeying Jesus' commands. Rather, Paul preached that grace empowers real Christians to obey the simple words of the Lord Jesus. And I really do want to challenge you to read 1 Thessalonians 1 simply. For what it shows is that someone who has truly experienced the transformative power of the grace of Jesus thrives on being empowered to obey the commands of Jesus because it demonstrates love to Jesus. Just like all people have a love language, so does Jesus. And as he so eloquently told his disciples in John fourteen twenty one. His love language is obedience to his commandments. So, do you truly love him? Do you? Are you passionate about obeying the gospel of the Lord Jesus? If so, don't let your heart be troubled. By grace, your heavenly Father will not let you be deceived. So, by grace through faith, may you choose to obey the simple words of Christ. When days feel like a carousel that's never coming to an end The monotony's a prison cell with atrophy its closest friend Surely we were made for more Surely this isn't all there is The comforts we've been praying for Have stolen oh so many years Oh the joy set before Him When our Lord endured the cross Is the joy He has offered To those near and to those far It's the blessing of a servant To the least and to the lost He's the only life worth living The only life that's worth the cost
treadmill life's a tragedy It's not a man or woman free But freedom's not autonomy No matter how it seems to be No government can legislate The liberty the spirit gives And no country can emancipate The slaves the way my savior did Oh, the joy set before him when our Lord endured the cross Is the joy he has offered to those near and to those far It's the blessing of a servant to the least and to the lost He's the only life worth living, the only life that's worth the cost Benefit do billionaires have before the King of Kings? Cause he will not be bribed or bartered with, but everyone will bow their knee. When we all behold his majesty, we'll count all that's left as loss. He's the only life worth living, the only life that's worth the cost. He's the only life worth living, the only life that's worth the cost.